Hello and welcome to the podcast for the February 2012 issue of The Lancet Infectious Diseases. Richard Lane here and this month I'm joined once again by the editor of Infectious Diseases, uh, John McConnell, to discuss some of the issue highlights. John, welcome. Let's start with what to me looks like an interesting stroke encouraging phase two study about uh, a new antiretroviral. Tell us more about this. Yeah, this is a new antiretroviral drug, Richard, called uh, dolutegravir, which is in the uh, class of drugs known as integrase strand transfer inhibitors. This is a phase two trial. It's essentially a sort of dose-ranging study against the control of three doses of dolutegravir versus a uh, a comparator drug called efferferens, I probably haven't pronounced that correctly, and all the patients also received a background uh, regimen of the sort of standard nucleoside combination drugs. Essentially, they found that all the dolutegravir doses were better at reducing HIV viral load to 50 or below. They reduced the viral load more quickly than the comparator. Where we're going with this, I think, is this is now the sort of precursor to phase three trials of this drug. Indeed, the comment alongside is interesting. And- and it's eagerly anticipating phase three developments. But it talks about the politics of it because GlaxoSmithKline, who are involved in this new drug, aren't they, mm-hmm. are trying to match it with other drugs that they have. So the idea being that you have one super pill. <laughs> yes, that's right. The whole area of therapy of HIV is very complicated. This new drug, Dolutegravir, it is in the same class as a drug on which we published a trial a few months ago called Raltegravir. Now, where Dolutegravir has an advantage is it can be used once a day, whereas the trial we published a few months ago of Raltegravir, I think, proved pretty conclusively that you had to continue to use it twice a day. So there's an advantage for Dolutegravir. However, it appears that um, uh, the GSK are trying to combine their new drug, Dolutegravir, into a single pill with some other uh, drugs uh, in the anti-HIV regimen, which they always have, uh, already have in use. Uh, So that's Abacavir and Lamivudine. However, some clinicians apparently doubt whether Abacavir and and Lamivudine are as effective as other drugs in the in their same class. And so whether uh, GSK will ever uh, be able to pull off this combination and, and persuade clinicians to use it is a matter of conjecture and, and doubtless will be the subject of uh, future phase three trials. There are many papers yet to come, I think, from this story. It's just worth final salutary note, isn't it? Because we talk about HIV a lot, naturally. There's a lot, uh, a lot of important studies around. Just worth pausing, isn't it, and realise actually how far we've come. Antiretrovirals now, people who are successfully put on a course of managing their disease with antiretrovirals can now expect to lead a fairly normal life. I think people who are on fully effective uh, combination antiretroviral therapy, as as far as we know up to now, can expect a a life expectancy for fairly close to to that of a population which is uninfected. Moving on, let's um, talk about rotavirus. This is important because it's an update, isn't it, on global mortality from rotavirus, particularly death from diarrheal disease, because obviously the context here is that rotavirus vaccine has been around for a few years now and is gradually being implemented. So presumably this update is to try and assess some kind of effect of the vaccination program. Yes, in fact, it's the baseline for the vaccination program. So what the authors of this meta-analysis have done is that they've updated figures from 2004 on deaths attributable to rotavirus to 2008. And they found that there were, by their estimation, there were 400 
153,000 rotavirus-related deaths in children under five years old in 2008. Now, the reason 2008 is important is because that's the baseline number, and after 2008, rotavirus vaccines started to be introduced. So if we want to look at how effective rotavirus vaccine campaigns have been, we will need to look back at the these 2008 data as the starting point. What's next? Presumably even though we need to assess from this baseline, clearly there still must be um, an emphasis or an impetus to get to get more vaccination programmes out there. Well, that's right. I mean, where we really need the, ro- the rotavirus vaccines are in the most highly affected countries. So w- what the authors of this meta found is that there, there are just five countries in the world which are contributing 50% of the deaths. And India alone was contributing 22% of the deaths. And as yet, even though WHO have recommended the worldwide rollout of rotavirus vaccine into childhood vaccination, programs. Those uh, vaccines have not yet entered routine use in, in the countries that are worst affected. So there, there is the, some way to go before we, we roll those out. But uh, I remain cautiously optimistic that, that it will happen. And staying with vaccines and actually staying with India, another very interesting paper, and this is looking at polio eradication, which has been a clearly stated aim for many years. And it's tantalisingly close, but it's stubbornly hanging on, isn't it, in some places? Yes. Tell us about this paper. Well, this is a, a trial of various formulations of oral and inactivated poliovirus vaccine. Now, I think the reason why this is particularly important at this moment is this is a trial done in India. And India, of course, has just announced that it's been free of polio cases for a year now. So that's a tremendous achievement for, for India. One of the reasons that this has happened is they've been able to modify their vaccination program. The trivalent oral poliovirus vaccine was surprisingly ineffective in some high prevalence settings. And so what's happened is that the, the vaccination schedule has been modified so that some monovalent vaccines have been used to mop up some of the residual cases. And what this study actually shows, if you give repeated doses of the monovalent vaccine just against the type 1 poliovirus, and this the the oral vaccine is that you can produce levels of immunity which produce almost 100% in the target population. And the authors of this study also used various different formulations of of the injectable poliovirus vaccine. And again, they're producing very good levels of of immunity in the target population. What we're moving from here with, with these data is a situation where we will no longer be eliminating the uh, the disease polio but but we'll be needing to protect populations against the reintroduction of the disease in that context it's going to be the injectable the intramuscular or the interdermal inactivated poliovirus vaccine which will become important and John, let's talk about a grand round, a grand name. You don't publish these too often, but this again, a very interesting topic, surgery in extreme cases of TB. But topically, this is tied up with extremely drug-resistant TB, which has emerged as a real problem in the past couple of years. Again, there is a, there is a bit of an India context, India angle here. And of course, some Indian authors have recently published some cases of what's called totally drug-resistant TB. Now, that concept doesn't yet have an exact definition, but it seems that these 12 patients in India were resistant to every known drug which you can use to treat TB. So what we have in this grand round paper, and the concept of them is a case report and then a comprehensive literature review of the diagnosis of the patient. And this particular patient had a multi-
multi-drug resistant tuberculosis. He was a patient from uh, Georgia, and that's, that's Georgia, the former Soviet Republic of Georgia. In the end, because he was resistant to drug treatment, in the end he was operated on to remove the tuberculous lesion from one of his lungs. And that, followed by further drug tre- treatment, has essentially left him cured. And so what we have in this paper is a review of the use of surgery to treat tuberculosis. And of course, surgery really dropped out of fashion once we started to have antibiotics to treat TB in the 50s. But surgery has been around as a way of treating TB since the, uh, probably since the early part of the uh, the 19th century. It's always been used in some parts of the world, particularly in Russia. And now there is a case for using it to treat particularly recalcitrant cases of tuberculosis. But of course, there are no randomized trials uh, to show that it that it is actually more effective than, than drug therapy. So we do need some much more structured, in-depth study of surgery for TB before it begins to approach routine use. And John, let's conclude with the leading edge editorial this month on sepsis, which is an important topic. It's a depressing topic, isn't it? Because an awful lot of energy goes into trying to find a, a drug cure or treatment for sepsis, but basically we're failing, aren't we? The history is not good here. When I started in medical research, which was a very long time ago, about 30 years ago, the subject I worked in was sepsis. Essentially, in the the 30 years that have passed since, the number of cases of people